0: The mystery of the kingdom has been given to you. Yes, you. And if you have received it, then it has been revealed to you by the Spirit of Christ. In Mark chapter 4, verse 11, Joe actually preached this last week, but Jesus said to his disciples, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So, the meaning of the kingdom of God is revealed and understood by those to whom Jesus has revealed it to. And what the kingdom is like is embraced by those, and understood by those, and lived out by those who have received this revelation. Now, in today's passage, Jesus is going to tell us what the kingdom is like. He does it through parables, so that only those to whom the truth is revealed— Will be able to receive it. So now we'll read from Mark chapter 4, verse 10 through 12, and then 26 through 32. Releading up to this passage, Jesus has told the parable of the sower. He'll tell three parables having to do with seed. The first one, which we covered last week, is about the sower who sows seed on different kinds of ground. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Verse 26, he also said, what is the kingdom of God like? A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because... The harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you can plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. To understand this passage, we have to first understand what the people in Jesus' time thought was the kingdom of God, because it's, it's different than what we know it to be. And it was kind of a game changer for them. So first let me share what their conceptions were of the kingdom of God. They believed that the Messiah would usher in the kingdom of God. Okay, we're on the same page so far. But they thought that meant a Jewish king ruling on an earthly throne in Jerusalem and for them that meant an overthrow of the Romans where they could establish a righteous Jewish government that would finally rule things the way that God wanted it. And we kind of have that thinking today where sometimes people equate government with the kingdom of God where if we could just elect the right president and capture both houses of Congress, then that party would usher in a righteous government that would provide security and compassion and equality for all. But Jesus did not come to rule through civil governments. He came to rule in the hearts of people. Jesus went around preaching the kingdom of God. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand or the rule of God has come. And repentance was part of that message because for us to come under the rule of Christ means that there are things in our lives that have to change. And so repentance belongs to the kingdom. And those who come under the kingdom lovingly surrender to him and live with him as their king. Now the people in Jesus' day thought that this kingdom would come about by an overthrow of the Roman government. But Jesus said, no, the kingdom will come like this. The word of God, the message of Christ, will be sown, it will be shared. Some would believe, and those who believe will become part of the kingdom of God. But the kingdom message would have to be revealed to those whom Jesus would reveal it. I'm going to read this in verse 11 again. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Who's the you? These are the disciples and other people who wanted to be around Jesus. But to those on the outside... Those are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the self-righteous. To them, everything is said in parables so that they may be seeing but never perceiving and never hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, that's a hard passage. That's hard to hear it sounds like some are chosen to understand the message and others are not. And that is exactly what that passage is saying. We are not going to explain it away. Jesus was somewhat vague about letting people know what the Messiah would do and how the kingdom would be established. He shared these things in parables so that not everyone would get it unless Jesus revealed it to them. Jesus revealed this truth to his disciples and in later generations, and to us, that truth will be revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And this is why some people, upon hearing the gospel plainly and clearly, just do not get it, and they won't believe It's because it awaits a time when the word of God meets a heart that has been ready to hear and receive the gospel. Only when a heart is regenerated first does the gospel come and take hold and become faith. None of us on our own can pull this off. It's a work done by God, a work of grace, a work that because we're pursued, or work because we're loved and wanted. People coming to faith and submitting to the rule of Christ is always a partnership between the Spirit of God and the sharing of the gospel. And in our hearts, we know this, because when we pray for loved ones who don't know the Lord, Your prayer is not like this. Oh God, help them exercise their free will. Do you ever pray that? I think you probably pray something like I pray. Oh Lord, bring them to faith. Oh Lord, reveal yourself to them. Oh Lord, make them yours. We pray this way because we know that on our own, we would not get it. It's a partnership, always, between the Word and the Spirit. I am part of a book club that reads theology books. I know, sounds exciting, doesn't it? But one day, we're discussing um, this book we're reading on the work of the Trinity, and uh, one of the guys says, What would you say to a person who wants to understand who Jesus is? So I asked, well, has this person heard the gospel? And they said, yes. Then I said, well, I would have them pray and ask God to reveal the truth to them. He says, well, that sounds Mormon. And I said, fair enough. And then another guy says, well, I would have them read the gospels. And another guy said, well, uh, I'll have them just be part of the Christian community and have them experience the love of Christ. And another one said, well, just have them write down those questions and you can answer them. And another said, you know, I just had a a Muslim friend last week come to Christ through a, a dream. And I said, guys, it sounds like God gets us how he gets us. And we could all agree on that Jesus was telling his disciples there are insiders and outsiders you are insiders because I have revealed to you the kingdom of God the Pharisees and others they're outsiders they don't get it they won't but since the kingdom has been revealed to you I want to tell you what the kingdom is like. And then he's going to tell them what the kingdom is like using two other parables. To us, this isn't as mind-blowing as it was to them because we're kind of used to what the kingdom is, but to them it was a, a paradigm changer. The first parable begins with verse 26. A man scatters seed on the ground, Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Now, remember from last week's parable, the word goes out. The word of Christ goes out. Sometimes it falls on good soil, sometimes it falls on soil where it doesn't grow, but sometimes it falls on good soil and it sprouts and it grows. And you're like, I'm not quite sure how that happened. Really, you know, I I do gardening and I'm not quite sure how a seed grows. But it grows. And what Jesus is saying is the word goes out. We share with all. Some people believe. We don't know why. It's just some people believe. God knows. We're not sure what God is doing in their life or how he's doing it, but God causes it to grow. And once we see faith in a person, then the harvest starts. We bring them in to the visible kingdom, which is the church. All of us who are part of the kingdom of God are to participate in the harvest. So how do we participate in the harvest? Well, first of all, we sow with prayer. Pray for those who don't believe. Number two, we want to sow God's word however we sow it. This past week, my wife Nancy was in California because she's part of this executive team for this food company, and they just got bought by another company, and so this new boss was introducing to them this concept of servant leadership, and he cited several books by Harvard professors talking about servant leadership. Nancy said, you know, That whole idea of servant leadership comes from Jesus. He goes, "Really?" She goes, "Yeah, you can read about it in the Gospel of John. See how simple it was to sow that seed." We also sow by being the presence of God wherever we are. I shared this story before, but it but it works for this sermon. An appliance repairman came to my house and complained about his kidney stones. So I said, can I pray for you right now about your kidney stones? He goes, oh, okay. But I prayed for him, right? And the next week he comes over because he has finished a job with a part he had to order. And He says, hey, my kidney stones don't bother me anymore. And that gave me an opportunity to invite him to church and to have him be aware of what God is doing in his life. We can also participate in the harvest by inviting people to be part of the life of the church. Let me bring up a thing that's happening this Tuesday night at seven o'clock. We've started a new chapter of what is called Reasons to Believe. I know lots of people because I was a science major and when you go to the university to study science, whether you're a biologist or, you know, or a geologist, oftentimes the science that you're taught in the university conflicts with a particular view you were taught in the Bible, and the temptation is to just get rid of the Bible and everything you were taught as a kid. But our faith is reasonable. There are reasons to believe it's compatible with science. We just need to know how it is so. And so we have a, a group starting on Tuesday night. Invite some of your scientist friends. Invite some of your medical friends. They'll hear reasons for faith. There's always joy when we participate in the harvest. Again, I want to tell you a story of a man who... Many years ago, I was eight years old. My dad had just bought an auto repair shop, and this man came to have his car serviced. He noticed my dad was a new owner of the shop and said, are you the new owner? And he said, yes. He goes, um, did he come from another community? Yes, because we had moved to buy that shop. And he goes, have we found a church yet? And there was a period of time when we didn't go to church because of that transition, my dad said, No. He says, I want you to invite you to my church. It's First Presbyterian Church in Anaheim. Here's a service I go to. I'll meet you there. And my dad went. Our family came to faith at that church. My dad would church, serve that church as an elder, and he would be an elder in the other churches he had um, attended you know, from those days until he, he passed. I was called the ministry in that church. So when my dad passed away, I called Wayne, who had invited him, and I told him, Wayne, you invited my dad. I came to faith, I was called the ministry. I've preached the gospel to thousands. I've shared the gospel with hundreds, one-on-one. Your invitation got that whole thing going. He says, I know, it's my joy. There is joy in sharing the kingdom and participating in the harvest. There's joy in seeing people come to faith. There will be joy when we welcome them into heaven or when we are welcomed in heaven by them. Another thing happened this week. I was talking to my son James about his friend named Trevor who was pitching in the minor leagues and he was released before he made it to the major leagues. And so Trevor's struggling with his future, you know. I wanted to be a major league baseball player, now I'm not. But Trevor has a psychology degree, and I have a friend who's a professor of psychology, specializing in sports psychology at Azusa Pacific University, which is a Christian university in uh, Southern California. And so I showed Nancy a picture of Dr. Robert Taylor, and he's the professor there. And I said, you know, Robert wasn't a believer in high school, but I shared the gospel with him because we ran cross-country together. And when he graduated, someone else shared the gospel with him. hey, that's the same thing Stan said, and he believed. And then I told her, you know, I shared the gospel with several of my teammates, and several of them walked with the Lord today because of that. Now, I say that not because I'm bragging. I'm saying it was so simple A kid in high school could do it. There's joy in being part of the harvest. We have what everyone needs. You have what everyone needs. Everyone needs Jesus. There's joy in sharing him. Well, Jesus says the kingdom spreads like seed. And some people will believe, and we won't know how, but however, we're part of the harvest. And then in verse 31, he tells us another parable of the kingdom. He says it's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you can plant in the ground, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches the birds of the air can perch in its shade. To people who thought the kingdom would come by a great overthrow of the Roman government, Jesus says, no, it's like a a mustard seed. To people who think we need great crowds and a critical mass in order to move something forward, remember, it starts as a mustard seed. Let's show a a graphic. There's There's a little picture of the mustard seed. That's what it becomes. the kingdom would start small with Jesus and twelve disciples. They would share the gospel and do ministry and people would believe. And those who believed would share the gospel and do ministry and the kingdom would multiply. Those Twelve guys, quite uncommon, quite common. Today, the church is a global kingdom. The kingdom of God is throughout the earth. And one of the things I love about our church is that we are a kingdom-minded church. We've joined with other churches that pray for revival and redemption in the city of Wichita. We know that can't come about if we're divided, fighting against ourselves. So the pastors who are part of this movement have confessed and repented to each other that we have spent time building our own kingdoms, but we will no longer. We will build the kingdom. We saw a church that had a vision to redeem its neighborhood, an inner city church. There's no way they had the resources to do it, but they had hope and a prayer. We partnered with IASIS, and now they have a community center and ministry is going out of that place. We didn't build it for our kingdom. We built it for the kingdom. We've planted a church called the Oaks Fellowship among the Swahili-speaking people in Wichita, We're financing that. That's not our kingdom. That's the kingdom. We have church planting efforts in the most difficult places in the globe. When we talk about a global kingdom at Eastminster, we just don't talk about it. We put our money where our mouth is. Today we will ordain officers at every service. Officers, remember, we are building the kingdom of God. And if you're a deacon, you are the presence of Christ to our members, but also the presence of Christ outside the church. And elders, remember, you lead. You just don't do policy and count money and numbers. You lead, and you lead us to expand the kingdom. The expansion of the kingdom is God's design and purpose. His design is that disciples make other disciples. A lot of things God does has small beginnings. Israel started with one man, Abraham. The Messiah was laid in a manger. The church began with 12 bumbling disciples. And has grown to be a movement, a global movement. One that will fill the whole earth with every tongue and tribe and nation. And Eastminster, this started with 38 people in an elementary school. Many times the great things of God have small beginnings. We do not see the harvest that is yet to come. To you who say to yourselves, I am small and insignificant, I want you to know that God can take a seed make something great. Do you who think maybe my best years are behind me, who knows, your best and greatest work might be the legacy you leave behind to the next generation. Maybe some of you have this desire for some ministry or purpose that you think God wants you to do but fear and self-doubt keep you from going forward. I'm saying nurture that seed and see what through the power of God that purpose and desire might become. Do not grow weary in doing well for you shall reap a harvest if you do not give up. So do you believe this? Do you believe this mystery that God has revealed the gospel to you? And that he has saved you not just to save you, but he has saved you for a purpose in his kingdom. If you believe it, and sow seeds of faith among others. Invest in the kingdom of God with your wealth. Nurture the seeds of faith and desire within your own hearts and then wait with hope for the joy of the harvest shall come. Let us pray. Lord, we want to thank you You revealed Jesus in the kingdom to us. That was your work. And we thank you. Someone shared the gospel with us our parents, a Sunday school teacher, a youth worker, a friend. Thank you for them. Lord, stir us, move us to be part of the harvest. Lord, we pray for those who do not yet believe. They've heard the gospel, but they don't believe yet. We're going to pray. Bring them to faith. Regenerate their hearts. Reveal to them Truth. Bring them back home. Lord, maybe there's a desire in us. There's this little idea in our hearts and our brains, and we're thinking, oh, maybe this is what God wants me to do. Lord, we're going to bring you that little seed, the seed you planted. Lord, we're going to just ask you to, to nurture it. We're going to agree with what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we want to see your kingdom expand. We want to be part of your harvest. We pray that this church would always be so until you come again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.